Let's say, bless the Lord. If you say, oh, my soul, bless the Lord. Bless his holy name. Good evening, Kairos. Glad to see you. I'm Chris. I'm the pastor here. We want to be the kind of people that engage uh, the whole person with the whole gospel of Jesus Christ anywhere, anytime, with anybody. Dang, daddy's got a new table. Thank you. Look out. That's right. Y'all are in trouble. Wow. Thank you. That's nice. I'm going to bring the word, people. Um, question for you. First of all, uh, we're in a series called Five. We're looking at five memorable teachings of Jesus in Matthew chapter five that we would rather forget. Kind of difficult. Last week, we tried to put down a gospel primer. We only got halfway through the talk. Spirit moved. About 13 of you in the audience responded to the gospel, and that was awesome, and it was powerful, and we're still praising the Lord for that. Amazing. Welcome, brothers and sisters. Um, And just to let you know, for those of you who we haven't talked to, come say hi to us at the info bar. We'd love to hear your story. Make sure you're connected. Make sure you have the resources you need to know and love and serve the Lord, but just phenomenal. Um, but if you're uh, a very organized or systematic person, um, if you only get half of what you are promised, you get kind of angry and frustrated, right? You need all the boxes filled in. So we'll finish up last week's talk tonight. But question before we jump in, what makes you mad? What makes you angry? What lights your fuse and all of a sudden you just explode in lava of lashing people with your tongue? Now, some of you are nice enough, you never do it in person. You just do it behind other people's backs, right? Or you just do it in your car, right? What, what makes you mad? Be thinking about that because Jesus is going to talk about anger tonight and you're going to get angry at Jesus talking about anger, which is really fun. Um, but I want to show you a picture real quick. Take a look at this dude and uh, ask yourself, not that one. Um, <laughs> there you go. That's uh, not a beard thing, I promise. Um, does he look like an angry man? So... About the time this picture is taken, this is a Swedish scientist and engineer and inventor. He's got about 364 patents. He's rich. He's successful. Until one morning, uh, he wakes up, gets a cup of coffee, and opens up the morning newspaper. And there in the obituaries is his name. And here's what they decided to report about his life and his legacy. He became rich by creating faster and more effective ways to kill people. And he got angry. You see, he was the inventor of dynamite. And in fact, he had tried to make advances because nitroglycerin was what they were using beforehand. It was totally unstable. And he wanted a more stable explosive for commercial use. But what also happened is himself and his family began to profit off the wartime use of dynamite and he got angry and he decided to do something about it. He decided to make it right and make the first move. So immediately he went down to his lawyer's office and he changed his will and his testament and he bequeathed all of his estates, which by today's standards was $3.1 billion to establish five prizes for people who make significant contributions to humankind. You know him as Alfred Nobel. The Nobel Peace Prize is one of those five gifts. Do you think that anger that he felt that morning when he read the newspaper was actually good and healthy? 
because it made him make things right and it made him make the first move, which is why it's difficult when we get into this text, the way Jesus is gonna talk about anger is going to come at us from all different angles. So let's jump into the text, ask the Holy Spirit to lead us and see what the Lord wants to speak to us through his word. We're in Matthew chapter five. Let me pray for us as we're turning there. Holy Spirit, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear? To see the anger that you're calling us to and to hear the anger in our own voices and hearts that you want us to change. Jesus, would you go before us in this text and make a way? And together we say, speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. Matthew chapter five, and we'll start in verse uh, 21. You have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, a fool, you're in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you're in dangers of the fires of hell. Oops. So if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar, at the temple, and you suddenly remember someone has something against you, leave the sacrifice there at the altar. Go be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. When you're on the way to the court with your adversary, settle your differences quickly. All the lawyers are like, hooray. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to the judge who will hand you over to an officer who will throw you into prison. If that happens, you surely won't be free again until you have paid the last penny. I'll say the word of the Lord if you'll say thanks be to God. The word of the Lord. Who's confused? Thank you. I see that hand. Is there another? <laughs> We're doing it again. Um, I believe in you guys. I love our learning communities. I'm gonna need you guys to put on your biblical scholars hat tonight. Uh, I don't know about you, but there's times when I desperately like the disciples wanna know what Jesus is talking about, but I need a little help. And he is a brilliant teacher. He is the smartest human that has ever walked planet earth and some of the ways that he uses to teach us and catch our attention and get us to the heart of the matter are truly mind bending. And this is one of them. So um, as we continue on in this text, you're just gonna have to get comfortable with the fact that Jesus is using some hyperbole, some parabolic pointers, if you will. He's using outlandish examples so that our ears perk up and stand at attention and go, huh? And we want to truly hear what it is that he's saying and get to the heart of the matter because uh, we'll talk about this in just a second. We're gonna have some problems if we take all of these examples literally. Because he's gonna start talking about lust and he's gonna go, hey, poke your eye out if you lust. Because it's just better to go into heaven with one eye than two eyes and, and into hell, right? And I don't think anyone goes, well, Jesus is advocating self-harm, pirate patches and prosthetics. I don't think that's where we're headed, right? <laughs> so we've got to engage scripture as rational spirit-led people who study Jesus and how it is that he teaches. And then also it's anger, it's a human emotion. And I would say this, you can't control your anger, you can only control how you act on it. And so again, Jesus seems to be turning up the temperature here. You're getting angry at his teaching on anger, going, I don't know if I could do that, what are you talking about? 
I love reading through the gospels because time and time again, the disciples are always pulling Jesus aside after our teaching and go, hey bro, honestly, what did you mean about that? <laughs> I know we've been with you for a while, but please break it down for me. Now, before we jump into this, will you guys permit me to do this? Because this, I think, has been extremely helpful and healthy for me and some of the people I'm in community with. I first want to address healthy anger. And here's why I would say the term healthy anger. God gets angry and so does Jesus in the Bible. And so just real quick, I'll give you some examples of the things that make God angry. So I just wanna establish the fact that that is a divine emotion that he experiences and perhaps us as made in his image are allowed to experience it in healthy ways or righteous ways. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19 says, here's 16 God hates, one more that he loathes with passion. Eyes that are arrogant, tongues that lie, hands that murder the innocent, hearts that hatch evil plots, feet that race down a wicked path, um, mouth that lies under oath, and a troublemaker in the family, which is gonna be kind of close to what our text is. Proverbs 15, eight, uh, God hates worship without obedience. Um, Jesus gets angry, Matthew 7, 17. He doesn't like it when people and things are not fruitful. He curses the fig tree because it's representation of Israel. You're not keeping and bearing fruits of repentance. When he sees people that damage children, he gets angry, Luke 7, 2. And in Matthew 21, he throws a temple tantrum, right? <laughs> I borrowed that from somebody. I felt really guilty when it went down like that. Yeah, I, I totally stole that. Um, but anyway, um, I'm trying to remember who said it first that I can cite the source. Leonard Sweet, thank you. Um, so he gets in the temple and we can debate on what are all is making Jesus angry, whether it's the fact that prophetically he's saying the sacrificial system is no longer required because the sinless son of God is here, pure and holy, making a sacrifice once and all for all for our atonement of sins. You can argue that was dishonest money changers and that made him angry that people would lie, cheat and steal in the very house of God. You can argue that they were set up in the court of the Gentiles and somehow he was making people who are far away have obstacles to get to his father and that made him angry. Regardless, Jesus, the representation of God in the flesh, got angry. And dare I submit to you and I that so should we. My concern is not what you're doing with your selfish anger. My concern is what you're doing with your righteous anger. Don't you think we as the people of God should be a little bit more angry about injustice, oppression, tyranny, poverty, and disease, and war that is ravaging the kingdom of God on earth? Don't you think if the height of your anger is limited to traffic and cell phone service, then perhaps we need to get on our faces and repent that we're too consumed with our own convenience rather than the convictions that are laid out in scripture. So I don't know about you, I want some righteously angry people that say that is not my father's will and I wanna make it right and I'm gonna make the first move. Now, how we handle that says truckloads about our character. But again, here uh, is an incredible word from Chip Dodd. He wrote a book. Uh, it's incredible. It has a whole chapter on anger. And here's what he says about anger. Anger reveals what matters to us. Anger also indicates to us the need to take responsibility for other emotions. 
The reason some of our anger is so unhealthy is all we're using it is to mask all the other emotions that we're feeling, all the other pain, the hurt, the loneliness, the sadness, the guilt, and the shame. We don't wanna deal with that or process that, so we just sit in anger 24 seven. Because it feels a lot more empowering to blame and shame others than to take responsibility for our own feelings. But again, the gospel is gonna give us a different way. It's gonna say, make things right and make the first move. And so as we jump into that text, again, I just want you to remind, there is healthy anger and there is anger that God and Jesus feel that we are invited to share a part of it. That's why I'm so proud to be a part of a church that has something called the Middle Tennessee Initiative where it directly fights and gets angry against poverty, under-resourced healthcare and under-resourced education. So if those are things that make you angry, step straight to the info bar. We partner with people, uh, ministry partners who are they're underfed, underemployed, just released from prison and have no mother and father. Because those things make Jesus angry. And it makes us angry too. That there are hungry kid, Christians and people in this world in an age of such wealth and prosperity. And we wanna make things right. And we wanna make the first step. Question I have for you before we jump in just a little bit further. What makes you righteously angry? What goes, that should not be. And I would submit to you, that is the beginning of your calling. For those of us who are dealing with unhealthy anger, what is your anger hiding? Or if you were to this week actually listen to your anger, what is it trying to tell you that you've been ignoring? Anger often turned inward leads to depression. Usually hurt and pain is unprocessed anger. Good, so we're clear on healthy anger. Now let's look what uh, Jesus talks about with anger. Because again, he's talking to some religious leaders, some scribes and Pharisees who are just like Mac Daddy moralistic ninjas. They, they, they mastered the law, they're awesome. They based all the Bible quizzes. Jesus raises the bar so we can pole vault with it because he's gonna say your righteousness can surpass, these are surpass the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And he's actually gonna give us a step-by-step -step of how to with outlandish examples, okay? He's basically saying as he gets into this, just because you've never murdered someone doesn't mean you haven't killed someone with your words. And a lot of us play the same game that the Pharisees play. Well, I've never done this, this, and this, and we use it as an excuse to be murderous people with our gossip, our slander, our anger, and our bitterness. It's amazing to me how much we as Christians, we hate other Christians that don't sin the same way we do. And church just kind of has their sins that those are the really bad ones, but these ones we tolerate. Anger and greed, that's okay, as long as you're successful. So Jesus is trying to get our attentions. And first of all, he says, hey, if you call someone a fool or an idiot, uh, you're in danger of judgment, okay? This is difficult for a couple reasons. One, first of all, if we take the very form of teaching that Jesus is trying to teach against, we can just create a new legalism, right? Never call someone an idiot and you fulfill the righteous requirements of the law and you'll just find different words to call them, right? 
You're just making legalism off of what has already became legalism. I struggled this with in my life when I had a grace awakening and I became a legalistic about grace. If you were into grace the way that I was, then I'm just like, oh, I'm legalistic. You can't, no, 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 I don't like you, right? I have no respect for where you're at on your journey. If you're not right where I'm at and feeling the things I'm feeling, then no, thank you. And we do this continually. Um, this is what uh, Eugene Boring says, unfortunate name for a biblical scholar, but he, he made the most of it. This is not an injunction merely to avoid abusive expressions. That would be another form of legalism. But to submit our thoughts about people as well as the words they give rise to, to God's penetrating judgment. Oh, search me, O oh Lord. Know my heart. See if there's any wicked way within me. I just want to know, I need to be aware of who I am and how you want to transform and conform me into the image of your son. I'm so easily mesmerized by keeping external observations and so easily ignore internal transformation. But you desire the heart. That's what you're always after, so search me. Here's another reason why this is difficult. Don't call someone an idiot or a fool. Uh, feel free to read Matthew 23, 17, when Jesus himself calls the Pharisee blind fools. Uh oh Well, Chris, that's not the King James Version, okay? <laughs> that's your translation problem. <laughs> Could it be that Jesus is teaching something deeper here? <laughs> Right? He, he's not giving us a new form of legalism and check marking. He's asking us to be transformed from the inside out and realize that the words we say matter. And what I think he's really, really after here is for us to make things right and make the first move. He is talking about the urgency of reconciliation between brothers and sisters. Why do we flippantly cast aside God's call for us to live in unity as a community? And immediately, I think Satan knows that the best tactic to immobilize Christians and make them powerless in the spirit is to promote disunity. I think what Jesus is after here is not external observation, but internal transformation. Pretty sure what Jesus is after here is now that you have my imputed righteousness, it should lead to undisputed obedience. I think what Jesus is after here is make things right and make the first move regardless of who committed the wrong the first time. Stop with the excuses. I didn't do anything and it doesn't bother me. That's your pride talking. You cannot live in the context of community without conflict. I wonder one day in all of eternity when we look down at the significant things that the churches did, that all the things that we value won't be that great, but I think Jesus will hold up they lived in unity with one another as they advanced my kingdom. This is how they will know you are my disciples, by the way that you love one another.
And unfortunately, so many of us have been given such poor examples in family and friendships and churches that at the first sign of conflict, just leave. First disagreement, disengage. First time there's friction, fly away. But what if that's part of the secret sauce? What if God wants to teach us through conflict the primary way that truth is actually revealed to us as one another? I'm getting excited. Here's, I'll, just, I'll close with this and then we'll hit 120 seconds because I, I need you to do some soul work with this. Um, I remember teaching this passage about eight years ago um, at a church and it was one where we established a culture of altar calls. Nothing wrong with those, love them, come down forward, pray as you want to, be prayed for. I think there's something really special about your body responding in obedience physically to what's happening to you spiritually. Um, Again, what happened in the room last night when people respond physically to what's happening spiritually, it's a powerful move. But the time towards the end of the service came and it was time for us to think about the urgency of reconciliation and to deal with some unhealthy anger and disunity among us. And I just said, hey, tonight, instead of coming forward, let's have a reverse altar call and you go out the back and into the lobby and before you even consider singing your worship, how about you be obedient and contact someone you need to make it right with? Leave your worship at the altar and go out and do your best to make it right and make the first move. Now the air just went out of this room simply because right now the Holy Spirit's revealing to you a name that you need to contact and you're trying to fight not doing it. Let me put some parameters on this. I'm not talking about abusive situations. I'm not talking about something that you don't need to submit to anymore. There are some relationships that absolutely need to be severed. In this context, we're talking about brothers and sisters and family members. And there's something that's gone on for far too long. And probably both of you are at fault, if you truly admit it. I just wonder what it would look like tonight just to reach out. Make the first move and go, hey, think we could talk later? This has gone on for far too long and I just wanna see if we can't be unified again. I think the reason so many of us shy away from our anger is because we equate it with violence. Did you have that modeled for you? I had anger modeled for me in verbal violence. So what I learned to protect myself is I would draw and I cover up, and I justify that and say that's more spiritual. Both are a form of violence, withdrawing or fighting, when I'm denying you the very thing God has called me to, and that's relationship and unity. Now, there are obvious reasons why you need to do that for self-protection at first, but you cannot live here. What does it look like for night for you to make it right? And just make the first step. You're responsible for you. You're responsible for what it is that you need to do to make sure disunity does not paralyze your power in the Holy Spirit. Disclaimer, you may do it wrong. <laughs> they may respond unfavorably. It may get messy and bloody. But Jesus calls us to do it for the urgency of reconciliation.
What do you need to do tonight to make it right and make the first move? If we started to put this into practice, I wonder what would happen. I wonder what would happen if we actually treated gossip like a murder weapon. I wonder what would happen in our worship services if our primary value and expectation was not the quality of the music or the preaching, but the quality of the relationships we have with those sitting next to us when we walk in the room. I wonder what would happen in our small groups if we treated reconciliation as a matter of life and death. I wonder what would happen if we truly confronted our hurt and our anger in such a way to move towards truth and Jesus. I think more of us would be able to make things right and make the first move. Why? That's not a gospel of self-help. That's the gospel of Jesus helped us. That is the place because Jesus made the first move to us to make us right in the eyes of God. And now he has invited us to share in that kingdom work. Amen? So let's take 120 seconds. And this is not gonna be fun, just so we're clear, but it's absolutely essential and necessary. And we're gonna sing after this and the reverse altar call is once again open. The doors are right out there. Actually, you can do whatever one you want. You can come forward and pray if you want to, or you can walk straight out in that lobby and know you need to make a phone call. I'm gonna give you a couple prompts, but there's some of you right now go, I don't need to hear another word. Obedience for me is to go out and I know who I need to contact and I know who I need to initiate a conversation. So you can go anytime that you want and watch spiritual power and justice rain down as we make the first move and make things right. Is there someone this week that you stabbed with your words? That maybe you've gutted with some gospel and you realize I probably shouldn't have said those things because there was anger there and I didn't have the courage to confront it. And so I vented, I slandered, and I portrayed that person in a false light and portrayed me in a positive light. What would it look like for you to make things right and make the first room? Better yet, is there someone who has something against you, right or wrong, that the gospel might guide you to reach out, swallow your pride, and say again, hey, if you're willing, I'd like to talk. Let's listen for names and actions that the Lord might be speaking to us at this moment to make things right and to make the first move. And then ask him by the power of the Holy Spirit to give you the courage to follow through. Let's listen together.